That night, Beverly experiences strange, pleasant sensations while sleeping, and then is awakened by a man's voice, but finds no one there. It was even hard not to laugh through my Welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 109. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing Next Gen's seventh season episodes, Homeward, Sub Rosa, and Lower Decks. Here we go. Homeward, season seven, episode 13, production number 265. Original air date, January 17th, 1994. Directed by Alexander Singer. Story by Spike Steingasser and William N. Stape. Teleplay by Naren Shankar. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Penny Johnson as Dobara, Brian Markinson as Vorin, Edward Penn as Kateris, Paul Sorbino as Nikolai Roshenko, Susan Christie as Tirana, and Majel Barrett as Computer Voice. <laughs> The Enterprise responds to a distress call from Nikolai Ryshenko, Worf's human brother, who is stationed as a cultural observer on Barala 2, a planet that is rapidly self-destructing. Since the Boralians know nothing of space travel, Picard sends Worf to the surface disguised as a Borellian. He soon finds Nikolai, also disguised, waiting in the cave with a group of villagers. The two, the two beam back to the Enterprise where Nikolai proposes a plan to save at least some of the Borellians. Picard refuses on the grounds of the Prime Directive. It's a simple plan, really. That's the beauty of it. Worf, trust me. This is going to work. Trust you? You never had any intention of obeying the captain. I wasn't going to let those people die just because your captain started quoting Federation dogma to me. Your duty was to respect the captain's orders and to uphold the Prime Directive. Homeward. You know, I had one I thought when I was watching this. Now, I know... Uh, Paul Sorvino, who, for the our young listeners, you know, when this episode came out, he was a much he was a pretty recognizable actor. Um, I, I know he was a fan of the show, and I think he asked to be on the show. But regardless, I do. There were scenes in this episode where I was just thinking, man, how weird would it be to be a guest star on this show? Okay. Uh, he's your half brother. He normally doesn't look anything like this. He looks like he's he looks very very different. But he is your half brother. Um, by the way, so that all these scenes make sense, here's what the prime directive is. This is why you're arguing against. You know, <laughs> yeah, mean, it's yeah. like it's such a weird acting gig. It's obviously a sci-fi show, and Star Trek in particular is unlike anything else. You know. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But the, this this episode is even crazier just because it's like uh, make believe within the make believe. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um. So, uh, Steve, why don't you start us off on? Hmm. On well, I think I think um, I think this I think this is a good episode, and I certainly remember it. Um, I think it's it's a very interesting Prime Directive episode because I feel that it's 
it may be more than, you know, there are a number of episodes that kind of prime directive central, you know, centric in some fashion, even, even just in next gen, let alone the whole Trek universe. But I think this one, you really, it really raises questions, you know, and like circumstances. And, you know, if you go to the point of view of Nikolai's character and yeah, he's, he's, he makes rash decisions and he's, you know, kind of, you know, very much not like Worf. Um, they definitely play off that difference there. But, you know, nonetheless, it really raises the questions like, well, you know, when it's a clear cut example of a thing, you can save people and you, you know, especially in that mm-hmm. case where he's observing them and he knows them and obviously gets a relationship going with one of them and all that, you know, it raises ethical questions about it. And I think that's, you know, that's why I, I like this episode. Um I mean, it's not like I don't think it's a fantastic episode or something like that, but um, I do think it has something to talk about. Well, it's interesting. It's 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 one of those times where you <clears throat> where you you almost have to ask, like, what's the spirit mm-hmm. of the Prime Directive? Or you know, it's something we see, you know, in our in our lives, uh, different laws when it you know it seems like people can circumvent them or something, you know, willfully, but we're not even talking about that here. We're just talking about, you know, <coughs> maybe, maybe the founders of the Federation didn't anticipate this exact scenario, yeah. Yeah. you know, mm-hmm. or I guess, well, really the prime directive was, wasn't developed, uh, at the founding of the Federation. It was developed because of, of all the problems they had with the Klingons. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but still you have to ask yourself, what's the most important thing? You know, keep maintaining the spirit of it or maintaining the letter of that law. On the other hand, the whole point of the prime directive is so that everybody has, you know, an agreeable point there so that there isn't a conversation. So that because otherwise you, you could just second guess every single conversation. Yeah. Um, and obviously they, they, they hint around about it briefly. There, I think there's a scene with Crusher and Data. Who's to say – this society and on this new planet isn't going to have some kind of, you know, crazy effect on that new system that it's in. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think that as prime directive episodes goes, this one maybe isn't quite as effective as the others. I, I think it comes off not really feeling like it has so much to do with that. It ends up feeling a little bit more like it's, um, uh, Nikolai's, I don't know almost selfishness or is his personal investment Mm -hmm. you know i don't know right right i think i I think i respect uh objective conversations more Mm -hmm. um but you know (laughs) it does certain yeah it clouds it because (laughs) of his you know personal attachments and so on you know you know well i did think if picard wanted to be like you know, totally in the spirit. Right? <laughs> Once they found out, oh, they're on the holodeck, it'd be like, Commander LaForge, I need you to gas them dead. <laughs> <laughs> Just beam them out into space. That'll take <laughs> You know, that, you know, <laughs> he's obviously not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, he, if he's willing to not kill them, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a fine line between that and saving them. I don't know. Um, but... You know, we're we're immediately talking about the prime directive. It's a fascinating concept, and they did seem to find a slight variation to the to the recurring uh, drama of you know asking about the validity of the prime directive in this episode. But like I said, for me, 
what holds it back is it doesn't end up feeling much like that. It doesn't. It feels a little bit more like, you know, Nikolai thing. Um, uh, Adam, I haven't, you haven't said much here. What do you think of this one? Oh, I enjoyed this episode. I thought it was pretty good. Um, I enjoyed, I mean, I, we haven't gotten into this yet. I really enjoyed um, the Worf and Nikolai relationship. I thought both actors did a good, I kind of, you know, you mentioned in the beginning that it's kind of a weird pairing for brothers, but I actually believed they were brothers. Their chemistry was there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, you just brought up the question about Nikolai. I, I, you know, I tend to believe it was probably more personal, but I mean, that makes it more human in a way. I mean, that might be, it's more of a human response to me that he would make that decision based on, um, you know, his personal relationship and the, the bonds that he made with his people, because obviously they're in a, they're in a blind and they're not supposed to interact with these people, but he did. Um, you can argue whether that was a mistake or not, but I, I kind of think it makes it a little bit more of a human story and then just instead of a cut and dry. I like the scene where uh, the chronicler guy stumbles out of 10 forward. <laughs> that's pretty crazy when he ends up in, uh, or excuse me, out of the holodeck and ends up on 10 forward. I mean, that's, I can see how that would be incredibly terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, I thought they did well with that. I mean, if you really felt the disorientation he must be. And I thought that actor did well with the whole thing, you know. Yeah, you know. I've seen that actor do quite a few things over the years. Mm-hmm. He must, I don't know if he's Canadian or he lives up there, but he's in a lot of <laughs> Canadian, Canadian shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I like. Um, a lot of Canadian sci-fi stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Um, Battlestar, Continuum, different mm-hmm. things. But, um, yeah, he does a good job with it. I... I like that he kills himself. Huh? Um, <laughs> I think narratively it's effective that you have some kind of um, um, th- that consequence. He, consequence. Thank you. There's the word I'm looking mm-hmm. for. Uh, otherwise, uh, um, Sorvino's character, you know, gets off scot free. Yeah. Um, but we don't really see him seem to care. Um, yeah, they kind of took a turn there. There. Yeah. You know. Like, well, he he's gone, so sure, Worf, you can have that that document. That's fine. <laughs> he's not going to miss it. Ha-ha! <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> but, you know, I think it works. There's the ticking clock, of course, with the holodeck going offline. Um, Making Worf have to improv. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the sign of LaForge. No, that was, that was Nikolai, wasn't it? Um... I don't know. So it sounds. I mean, I, I like this episode. I always remembered it, but it sounds like you guys probably liked it a little bit more than I did. Well, yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I, um, I think it's good. I don't think it's fantastic, but I, I think it's got value, and I think it does raise some interesting prime directive notions. And there's also the that relationship and that conflict between um, between their values, really. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. Warp standing in for kind of the rigid prime directive and this kind of thing and the federation of duty all this stuff and you have nikolai who's definitely the, the rule base, breaker yeah and the he, rebel. And he fly, you know by the seat of his pants you know it's gutsy just whatever i'm feeling this kind of thing you know and the, and you you question what is the right way are you meeting somewhere in the middle or this kind of stuff you know well does this does this mean that he's essentially stuck with these people forever I guess. Yeah, yeah, he's there. And he doesn't have his technology there like he had in the blind back mm-hmm. on, what is it, Barala 2 or Corpal right. 2? Right. Um, 
Hey, can you uh, hook a brother up with a replicator? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I kept waiting for them to address um, Nikolai. What are you gonna do when that baby comes out and it doesn't quite look? Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. I, I I just needed to hear him have a line about. Oh, I I used a tricorder while she's sleeping. She'll never know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> tricorder to do what? <laughs> <laughs> then you have to talk about the <laughs> but what about the personal prime directive you know well it's funny to me you know so they i mean would it have been better just to try to integrate them into the society because how many were there because it didn't seem like there were many of them and you're going to put them on a, another yeah, planet <laughs> it didn't seem like there were enough to save the Just, species right but they were the big Nikolai is just planning to work really, really, really hard. There you go. <laughs> I think he's got the capacity. I have this feeling that he'd be up to the challenge. <laughs> um, so what's this episode about? Is it it's a Prime Directive episode? Am I cheating it by saying it, it felt like it quite, wasn't quite that for me? Um, I felt like it was more of a brother episode. I mean, it's, this is where, the, to me, I was going to mention this earlier, where the A and the B, they kind of intermix, and you're not sure which one's which. Um but they gotta go hand in hand, um, the two storylines. So I mean, I think you can get away with saying it's a prime directive movie or or a movie show, or you can say it's about two brothers, civil. Yeah. And that might be what makes it not just really click, you know, is that it's kind of splitting its you know message a little bit. I mean, you, you there is some some you know, it's got it's got the prime directive thing where it's got kind of a unique take on it. And you've got some well, you know, it really makes you question the prime directive, but you also yeah, you have that relationship, and specifically with that relationship, you have this notion of, you know, here's my philosophy, here's your philosophy, but you mm-hmm. know, there's 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 um, the, the you were the lo- perfect son. Yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and there's but, the the love of a, a love of two brothers, and that's got to override it. But you also have this notion of sometimes a gap too wide to bridge between two people. If the if they're just ways are just too different, you know, you can acknowledge. Well, you know, we're family, we're brothers, we have that love. But you know, you got to do your thing. I got to do mine. You know, I think there's some interesting stuff there, but I don't know that it, it focuses enough on one thing. Or, yeah, yeah, like I don't feel like 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 at the end whenever they kind of kiss and make up. Um, I don't feel like they really had that much drama. You know, they, there was their initial drama, and that was that pretty much stayed exactly the same until right near the end, when all of a sudden Worf's like, "No, you're a good brother." Okay, great, thanks, bye. You know, yeah. I didn't feel like they really kind of went anywhere, except the solution. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I didn't think about it the way Steve just mentioned a moment ago, but yeah, probably they didn't pick a side really with this one. Which way they were going to go? I would, I think, I would have preferred to see the the more of the brother relationship because I thought yeah. the the two were really good together. I thought they were, had good chemistry. Yeah, and, and it that's felt like brothers. Isn't it? I don't know why that surprises me, but but it's it is a weird pairing, and yet they have great chemistry. They, it, it does work. They work together. Um, but yeah, I think I would have. I think I would have enjoyed more actual brother development. This could have been an interesting opportunity to learn more about Worf, even you know his childhood. Mm-hmm. We don't really get much of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there are enough things in this episode to like. It's a cool conceit. This idea of moving the population by, you know, secretly zapping yeah. them into a holodeck. They were, they, they planned to like do that? something similar in Insurrection, right? I don't think they did it. I haven't mm-hmm. seen that movie in a while. But I think that was the original plan. Yeah, yeah, Insurrection. Yeah. Well, I mean, it wasn't the Enterprise doing it. It was um, whatever that the alien the species. Sona. 
Sonia, mm-hmm. yeah, something like that. Sonia mm-hmm. doing it to the Baku. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's a cool concept. It's a really cool concept. Uh, so I guess we've covered what it's about. Um, we ready to move on? With, are we good on this one? I think yeah. so. Six degrees for homeward. I keep wanting to call it homeward bound. That would have been a little bit different episode, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Um, Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. Penny Johnson plays Dobara, Warp's future half-sister-in-law and his half-brother's future baby mama. In DS9, she, of course, would play Cassidy Yates, Ben Sisko's girl. In what season of DS9 did Cassidy first appear? Hmm. Okay. Gosh. I'll give you a hint. It's somewhere between one and seven. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Oh, man. Um, Third? You got it. Season three. Right near the end, too, but you got it. All right, Adam. Brian Markinson plays Voren, the Baralan that chooses death over returning to his people or living on a freaking starship effectively from the future. (laughs) In Voyager's first season, he played Lieutenant Peter Durst as well as the Vidian named Sulan that grafted Durst's face onto his own in the episodes Cathexis and Faces, respectively. Sulan, the Vidian, suffered from what condition? What was the name of the disease? Is it the phage? You are correct. It was phage. One to one. Moving on. Sub Rosa, Season 7, Episode 14, Production Number 266. Original air date, January 31st, 1994. Directed by Jonathan Frakes. Story by Jerry Taylor and Gina F. Gallo. Teleplay by Brandon Braga. Music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Michael Keenan as Maturin, Shay Duffin as Ned Quint, Duncan Rager as Ronan, and Ellen Albertini Dow as Felisa Howard. <laughs> Beverly travels to Condolos to attend the funeral of her grandmother, Felisa Howard. At the service, Beverly sees a strange young man place a Carmillo onto the grave and Beverly and gives Beverly a knowingly look. Beverly reads her grandmother's journals that she had a young lover named Ronan. Beverly wonders if this is the same man from earlier. That night, Beverly experiences strange, pleasant sensations while sleeping, then is awakened by a man's voice, but finds no one there. Let me get rid of that candle. Why? That candle has brought nothing but misery and bad luck to your grandmother. Look, Mr. Quint, I don't know what your relationship was with my grandmother, but this is my house now, and these are my things. That candle has been a curse in your family for generations. Now, if you have a lick of sense, you'll listen to me right now and do away with it. Oh, boy. <laughs> Um, Subrosa. Subrosa. Now, I would like to point out that in my research for this episode, um, there were several people that said, for example, Jerry Taylor, uh, who admitted to being a fan of trashy romance novels, um, said, I think it's great that we did this for the women in our audience. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but that's kind of what she said, you know, respect that there are people that are going to like this. Uh, Brandon Braga, who wrote this, you know, said that there were lots of people that seemed to like it. Now, this is at the time. There were definitely people who liked it and definitely people who didn't. And the people who didn't tended to be uncomfortable with sex in episodes or sexuality. Okay. And even Ron Moore, at least at the time, said 
within a few years had said, I'm glad we did such a non-Star Trek episode. It, it's not a perfect episode by any means, but it was an experiment that was worth doing. They were they, all these people were sober at the time making these statements. Yes. <laughs> now, um, I, hey Brian, I will say this about this episode: they put a lot of production value into it. Did they? Sets. I, I well, I kind of thought the sets were cool. The um the Scottish. Now there's one thing: every single to a person, everybody commented about how incredible the sets were. I can't help it. I thought that the sets looked fake in standard def, and they look faker in HD. Like the the burial set. Man, it looks so like we are not actually outside. We are just in a warehouse. You know, we're on a stage. That's how it's always looked to me. Now, I, I admit I'm apparently in the minority there because every person I read about said they thought it looked so good. And Adam, you just said you thought it looked good. But for me, I think it looks like a, I think it looks like a stage set every time. Well, regardless, regardless if you like it or not, they put some, they put a lot of effort into this. They did episode. that. They, they did. Because- um, I mean, it's it's obviously Maybe a, a I really built set. Yep. So I would think differently about the set, but yeah. But well, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to find a little find bit of positive good, before, sure. before we get. But the thing is, crazy into it. all these people that were saying that there were people that liked this episode. In my entire life, I've never met a single person that liked this episode. Not even a woman. Not even a female human being. I think it's insulting to women to make such a statement like we made this episode for women. Well, that, well she, that, I, I didn't. That's not exactly what she said. Well, okay, so, you but, know. But she said, you know, we do have, we have both men and women in our audience, and we, I should find the exact quote, but it was like, you know, I'm a woman, and we have female audience members. That are going to like this, that kind of thing. Well, my my problem with some of the statements that they made, it is a Star Trek episode because he's an alien who's you know mm-hmm. a parasite. So to me, it's you know when they make the statement, we made a non Star Trek episode. I'm like, no, I, I think I would have preferred it if it was just a real dude <laughs> 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 instead of this weird ghostly creature from. You know, Adelaide it's Square. funny. We're talking about all the like normal practical things. Mm-hmm. Picard walks in on Beverly Crusher masturbating. <laughs> that's not that's not like the first thing that we said. I just want to point that out. You know, this is the episode where that happens. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. Even even um, Gates at the time, at the time. This is very interesting, you know, because you can do this. You can you can read what everybody said at the time versus what they say now. She at the time she said she thought it was uh, probably the highlight of the season for her and what she got to do. Jonathan Frakes directed the episode and talked about how great Gates was. Um, and then you look at what she said just a couple of years ago, and she's like, "That makes no sense. I loved a candle. I don't get it." You know. Hey Brian, l- let me say real quick. I I like this episode right up to the point where Picard is 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 walking Crusher back to her quarters on the Enterprise, and um, and he leaves. What what's the line that he said? Um, thirties. Thirties, oh, yeah, thirties. From that, that's when I stopped liking this episode when it went crazy. You know, ghost. You know, spirit. From you know that is I, I don't know I think if they could have just went somewhere different and they didn't have to do the supernatural with this it might have been a better episode I don't know but I think that's kind of what uh, the problems I had with it mostly was it just was just it just didn't just didn't work for me see I like something like a, a Spock's brain mm-hmm. I I think it's fun to watch you know it's funny it really is funny 
this episode, I don't know. I yeah, thought I maybe we would be laughing a lot more about it. We're really not because it's just it's bad. It's a bad episode. There's, I mentioned earlier yeah. about you know that moment where Picard walks in on Beverly uh, masturbating. Like within a span of like five minutes, we go from that to what else happens? Picard <clears throat> he asks the ghost for his list of previous addresses. I think is what happens. Mm-hmm, right. And then the ghost slimes him. And then, <laughs> and then Nana wakes up from coffin and zaps Jordy and Data, and then the ghost threatens uh, Beverly. Jordy. Well, no, I think he says to Beverly, and I think I'm quoting here, give me the candle or I'll kill him. You know, um, these are the kind of moments from this episode. It's just, it's just absurdity. Yeah. yeah. Even well, the deleted scenes suck. Did you watch the deleted scenes in the Blu-ray? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah, I did. Okay, now I'm not trying to offend anybody here. Apparently, Brandon Braga's grandmother died right before this episode. I think mm. it was. And at that funeral, apparently, they actually read this recipe and he copied it down. Okay, so in the deleted scenes, she reads a recipe from her, like her grandmother, her nana's recipe for something at the funeral. Well, I think he brought a recipe for this episode. I mean, it's, <laughs> hey, what do you give when you cross one part dead grandma waking up in the yeah, man, <laughs> Beverly masturbating, and I mean, you know, it's just. <laughs> I, I wish they would have gone. I wish they would have uh, done more with the dead grandma when she woke up. I, I was hoping it turned to weekend at Beverly's. You know, like she just gets <laughs> out and they, they call her around, and you know, um, like she should have fought Data. Should have spun around. <laughs> Well, the grandmother and Data should have had a hand-to-hand combat. <laughs> <laughs> only if she, only if the grandmother could do like you know, like jump twenty feet in the air with her legs well, out. Obviously, it would be the stunt grandmother fighting. Data. Well, and it's also, of course, it's the grandma from Wedding Singer. It's that same woman. I was waiting for her to offer a meatball or something, too. I mean, that's the stuff I was thinking. It's like, okay, first off, this is crazy. And it's like, would you like a meatball? You know, she, that, that actress is still alive. She's over 100. Wow. At least of this, as of this recording, uh, February 2015. That's Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Cool. Um, and, I, and, okay, and again, like a serious comment, though, is like I, I don't like any episode that makes our main characters – just look ridiculous like they can't and i understand there's something like taken over her and this is like a drug thing but it's so outrageous that it just it just really goes you know just, well, it's so fast too yeah yeah, yeah 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 um well yeah that's what i was getting to when i couldn't find out what this episode was about so you brought up drugs i'm like well it's kind of like a drug addiction could this were they trying to say something there but i'm like probably i'm stretch i'm reaching really right there yeah. and then it's not really about relationships because it's not really a real relationship so i couldn't figure out even what mm-hmm. they were trying to say in this episode just say um, no to candles yeah you've got like the the totally stereotype stereotypical you know scottish guy yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the alien governor who yeah i don't know why they went there with that i mean i was wondering I, if they were going to no. explain that but the but the the helper guy ned or whatever right he's got his I, i'm not i will not subject our listeners to me doing a Scottish accent, mm-hmm. <laughs> but his, you know, the house is cursed. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, and then the scene where he's, what, he went up to the Enterprise somehow and got into 
that what, I think where? they were on, I think they were still on the planet like in their in their weather control station. Oh, they beamed down then? I think so. I don't think he yeah. went to the Enterprise, but yeah. okay, that makes a little bit more sense. But you know, yeah. not really. <laughs> he uses personal, well, I, personal I, transport and went up to. I you know. like that scene where Data and Jordy are just watching him banter around the state. You know that little, but right before he dies, they're just sitting there. They're not trying to stop him. He's just running around, and then he just dies, and they're just kind of <laughs> like, "What the hell?" <laughs> just, they, the looks on, they caught. You know the the visual of Data and Jordy just watching this dude. It was just kind of funny. Funny to I, me. Anyway. I know this is not the worst episode of Next Generation. I, I definitely think there's a couple episodes from the first season yeah. that are that I believe objectively are worse episodes. However, this, this is, the, is the only episode of Next Gen that I literally stopped halfway into it and decided I can't finish this right now. <laughs> it's too bad. I will have to come back to it later. You know, I actually watched it first because I, I like the other two episodes we're going to talk <laughs> is about. That today. Like, I was like, like eating your 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 vegetables first. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was right, like, right. I was like, oh, I'm going to get this one out of the way because I like the other two episodes. <laughs> well, it's funny, you know, we're we're going to talk about lower decks in a minute, and I have a feeling we're all going to. I mean, we're all probably going to say we liked it. I sure as heck love, love, love lower decks. And to me, Sub Rosa is the perfect example of Star Trek trying to do something a little bit different and failing miserably. That happened. As opposed to Lower Decks, where they tried to do something a little bit different, and it worked. It worked. And I think that kind of the difference is Lower Decks is still Star Trek. It's Star Trek with this group of people that we never uh, get to hear anything about. Uh, it's, It's a group of people that lets us see this interesting point of view of our main characters, you know, it's still a Star Trek show. It's still a next-gen show. Mm-hmm. Soap Rosa is non-Star Trek in a very different way. It's non-Star Trek because it's just not Star Trek to me. This this thing is is so outside of the, the box. It's just too far. It doesn't do anything interesting. It, it doesn't present our show with some kind of different point of view. It's trying to present some, you know... Sexy ghost from 1602 with a different point of view. I don't know. It's, it's just bad. It's a, <laughs> so, it's a failed experiment, and Lower Decks is a successful experiment for me. So it's interesting that they're back-to-back. Subrosa subpar. <laughs> well, we'll get into Lower Decks, but I, when I was watching, the, it was funny to me that um, Crusher was giving um, – um, nurse Agawa relationship advice somewhere in there, somewhere in the middle there, and I'm like, you know, about a week ago you were, you were struggling. <laughs> yeah, well, there was some continuity. There would be some fun facts. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> I just couldn't help but think. I was like, you were strung out on a ghost a week ago. Don't be. <laughs> what a weird thing to like have to act. Okay, just know that we're gonna do some some kind of special effect on you, so it's clear that the ghost is, you know. Helping you out, so <laughs> can you act that? Shoot, <laughs> I I'll give her well, credit that, for, for not making. I mean, I don't I don't laugh, so that's pretty good actually. It's just it's 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 not campy or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um. No, I don't. I did find the um the first <clears throat> scene where she's being taken over by him in in her cottage. She's being thrown around the the cabin. That was kind of amusing to me. Sorry. It's it's so fast. She's like. What, what does she say? Um, oh, gosh. Like, what happens? To the, so the, the candle flickers. Her clothes start to come off, right? You're like, wait, what the? 
<laughs> and then uh, maybe it's the next the next scene or the same thing. What's happening to me? I feel so strange. <laughs> so I should get on the phone and call her mom. <laughs> what is this? Explain this, mom. <laughs> I don't know. As a as a viewer, it was kind of awkward with Deanna coming in there and trying to get all the information out of Beverly. We got to see what happened, and I think if Deanna would have saw well, that she would have been just as been freaked out as we were. Look, I'm I obviously I'm not a woman, and I but I'm not going to begrudge uh, women having a female conversation, and I admit that I'm only going to understand that to a limited in a limited way. Um, and I'm totally fine with that. There was a scene years ago. I don't even remember which episode, but remember the scene where they were like working out or yeah. something? <laughs> had a conversation yeah. that I that I admit was, you know, beyond my ability to um, relate. Yeah, uh, but I don't at all begrudge them for having that conversation on my show. It's our show. That's great. If someone else related. More power to them. This is an entire episode that just isn't Star Trek. It's not Star Trek. It's not Next Generation. Um, and we've talked about it now for almost as long as we talked about the last one. Equal time. Uh, what's this episode about? <clears throat> Nothing. Um, yeah, I couldn't come up. I could give you a stretch and guess, but I don't think there's anything concrete to this episode as, about, as to what it's trying to say. Rest in peace, Nana. <laughs> Six degrees for Severosa. I can't help but think we may have disappointed some of our listeners who were hoping that we would have a laugh fest the whole time. Sorry, guys. Some things are just too sad to laugh about. Uh, we're tied one to one. Steve. Mm-hmm. Michael Keenan plays Maturin, the alien, who thinks he's Scottish because he's the governor. Mm. He also played Patrick, one of the four genetically engineered humans that Bashir takes under his wing in two different episodes of DS9. In Chrysalis, Patrick dons an admiral's uniform and trick, and he and his group trick their way to DS9 by having him, in his admiral's uniform, answer every question he's asked with what phrase? I worded that a little odd, but did you understand Question. Mm, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, so he puts on an admiral's uniform, yeah. and on their way there, every time somebody asks them what's you know a question, he says one mm. phrase that shuts them up every time. Gosh, and he says it repeatedly. I just don't remember it. Um, something like "as you were." <laughs> no, Adam. Um, Drop it and give me 20. I don't know. I have no idea. I realize this was a tough question. I'm trying to at least throw in a couple of tough questions. It was, that's a stupid question. <laughs> mm, right, right. Possibly is true in a meta way for the question I just asked. Adam. <laughs> Duncan Regar plays Ronan, the ghost that lives in a candle and wraps Beverly in green love. He played the recurring role of Shakar Eden the Bajoran that managed to wrap Kira in love without the green effects. Uh, Shakar appeared in three consecutive seasons of DS9. What were they? Um, would that be five, six, and seven? No. Steve? <sighs> um, 
two, three, four? Nope. Three, four, five. Nah. Yeah. Maybe that wasn't a fair question. But at any rate, okay. what going on? It was a fair question, just neither of us knew it. <laughs> <laughs> Lower Decks, Season 7, Episode 15, Production Number 267. Original air date, February 7th, 1994. Directed by Gabriel Beaumont. Story by Ronald Wilkerson and Jean-Louis Mathias. Teleplay by Rene Echeverria. Music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Dan Gauthier as Sam Lavelle. Shannon Phil as Cito Jaxa, Alexander Inberg as Torek, Bruce Beatty as Ben, Patty Yasutaki as Alyssa Ogawa, and Don Riley as Jarrett Dahl. Four young Enterprise junior officers find their friendship strained during personal evaluations. Two of the friends, Sam Lavelle and a young Bajoran woman named Cito Jax, discover that they are being considered for the same job. Joined by their friend, Ben, a civilian who works as a waiter, they learn that their promotions seem to be already decided on them, decided on. For their two other friends, Nurse Agawa and a young Vulcan named Turek, their promotions are decided. Things get interesting when the Enterprise takes on unusual cargo and Cito's character is heavily questioned by Captain Picard. She must have left on that shuttle. There's no other explanation. Do you have any idea where it went? Toward Cardassian space. That's what I'm worried about. Oh, there was one other thing. I noticed the shuttle was damaged. Sam. Can we talk about something else? Well, don't you care what's happened to her? Of course. But we have to accept the fact that we're not always told about everything that happens aboard ship. Lower decks. Um, Adam, you haven't started this today, have you? I have not. This is a very good episode. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I remember it um, way back when. I remember it um, today. It's uh, um, As we talked about earlier, it's an interesting dynamic getting to see what crewmen... Um, junior officers, especially, you know, enlisted men, um, what they do. And, you know, it's um, interesting to see the kind of the different view of um, of our main characters um, to the point where, like, they actually leave the room to go see to have a meeting. Um, and we're not going with them. We're staying with the I um, love that moment. It's so awesome. The, the lower deck characters, you know, we're so I mean, it, it still even threw me a little bit watching the second time you're just used to going into the um, observation lounge and being in on the meeting. But this time. We're, we're sitting there with the two um, the two junior officers, and they even taught they even reinforce the idea of what it'd be like to be a fly on the wall or a spider under the table. So, um, um, I really enjoyed this episode. It's probably one of the better ones we've seen so far this season. Um, and I'll hand the floor over to somebody else. Yeah, this may be my favorite episode of season seven, not counting all good things, of course. Uh, I, I love this episode. I've I've watched this episode so many. This is one of the ones that I've just watched so many times. There's so many things about it to love. You know, it's 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 a it's a it's a great episode. Um, but even beyond all the the things that we're going to talk about, there's so many other things I love about it. I love it. I've talked many many times on this show about how I'm. I think of myself as a trekker, not a trekkie. <clears throat> you know. And the primary difference for me, you know, is as someone that believes in the the, the universe and, and wants to imagine it, imagine it's it, it as a reality. And this episode is is totally feeds into that love. That's the way I love Star Trek. Remember, that's why I had a hard time with JJ's first movie. Blah blah blah. But but this episode, it's exactly that. It's this is what it's like uh, to not be. Picard or Riker, you know, 
to be one of the guys that doesn't get to go up to the bridge uh, to, to, to be a guy that's standing there when the others go into the meeting and, and the door closes. This is what it's like for most people in the Star Trek universe, not, you know, cause most people are not the senior officers. Um, and I just, I love that. There's so many little things. There's a, there's a line. Uh, one of them says like, I hope I get the promotion so I can get my own quarters or something. And you're like, Oh, look at that. Uh, ensigns share quarters. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a dumb little thing, but it's the kind of thing that that makes the universe so real. And I didn't know that right before this episode. Um, there's there's just so many things I love about it, um, and we can talk, talk, talk. Uh, the, the the fascinating thing for about this episode too is that it was such a <clears throat> radical yet simultaneously simple idea. Um, that it was very, very, very influential. So influential uh, that other shows to this day do episodes they call the Lower Deck episode. You still hear like writers yeah. say that. Writers mm-hmm. that never watched Star Trek know that term. They might not even know that it came from Star Trek. But I mean I've been to like different writing workshops here in L.A. and stuff. And people will still use that term. We're doing our Lower Decks episode. It's a Lower Decks episode. And they may not even know where it came from. But that's mm-hmm. how influential this episode was. I once went to not a writer's workshop, but like a Ron Wilkinson, 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 uh, one of the guys that came up with the idea for this episode. What is it? Where did I see him? I think he was doing like UCLA extension writing classes, and I went to one or something. Uh, he he did a lot of uh, Stargate SG One stuff too, and I really liked that show. But I remember going to it, and a bunch of us just stayed after once just to talk to him about it. <laughs> I was curious if he was aware of, and he's totally aware of, of that that other people call that. In fact, he said something like somebody once said it to him about a lower decks episode, and they didn't know <laughs> that. You know, <laughs> he, he wrote did. the original one. He actually did. He did come up with the title too. Uh, the only reason Jerry Taylor didn't let Ron Wilkinson and Matthias, his his writing partner, the other guy, I can't remember his name. The only reason she didn't let them actually write the episode that they pitched was because they were in such a time crunch that she had to put, you know, one of her staffers on it, which is why Echeverria wrote it. Um, but they they had the they had the uh, title of the episode. In fact, when they went in to pitch this episode, um, instead of pitching the story, they had like detailed notes about each one of the lower decks crew members, like there are all these different characters' backstories, which is an unusual way to pitch, but that's what they did. And they even had Cito. Uh, from from uh, first duty, you know that was that was there. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's such a great episode, so influential. Um, uh, Steve, your first thoughts on Lower Decks? Yeah, I mean it's uh, I don't know what hasn't been said already. It, yeah, I it, very much like this episode. I agree, it could be my favorite from the seventh season, perhaps not including all good things. Um, but yeah, it's 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 such a fascinating take on it, and like you said, it's 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 a simple idea, but it it's really interesting to be from that perspective, you know, of the uh, the which the majority of the people on the ship would have that perspective more or less, you know, and and in a way, it's 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 uh it's kind of relates to how the majority of people in life live, <laughs> you know, we, you you don't you're not you don't see what the 
top people in your company are planning and doing or the top people in your government or whatever, you know, it's, we're all like that. We're all in that situation, you know. Um, I love the, um, you know, about midway through the, you know, it starts to focus a little bit more on Cito. Um, I'm so we have the, I, I enjoyed the scenes with her and Picard, um, the dressing down. I mean, and as a, you know, in the way they have this set up for you as the viewer, you don't know why he's really just tearing into her. And I kind of love that because any other episode she would have left the room and Picard would have brought Riker in or somebody and they would have yeah. you know, hashed it out and you would know, but um, I remember seeing this. I remember having this feeling when I first watched it. It was like, why the hell did he just rip her apart? <laughs> you know, but then, you know, why is he just going after her? And then obviously he brings in the fact that, you know, she used to be a, um, you know, she was involved in first duty and all that and that incident. But um, even at the end of it, he seemed, you know, you don't quite, well, you, you're asking the same questions that she starts asking. She's like, why the hell is she on this ship? So I enjoy, I even enjoyed it this time around, even though I knew the end, but um, mm-hmm. I like that twist there. Yeah, what a great payoff, too, whenever she comes after that great scene where Worf teaches her a lesson. Awesome scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, wherein she comes back and, and says what she says to Picard. And what a great payoff, you know, his line about, I know why you're here because I asked for you to make sure mm-hmm. you got a fair shake. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the, um, the, the poker, the two different mm-hmm. poker scenes intercut. It is really yeah. nice. And that guy, that guy is pretty humorously uh, young Riker. Yeah, yeah. I agree. <laughs> the funniest scene in the episode for me isn't any of the poker stuff. It's it's that scene where he's like, uh, "Aren't you? Aren't you Canadian? Aren't you Canadian too?" No, I grew up in Alaska. Oh, I'm talking to you. Yeah. Walks <laughs> <laughs> oh. your... <laughs> Yeah. It's in your, it's in your drink. <laughs> yeah, that was painful. No, that was that was good. Um, that guy's that guy's pretty good. He's got a really great face. I'm surprised we never see, like you know, he just seemed like one of those people that oh, we've seen him in something else. Well, maybe not. I don't know. But all, all of the performances are good. Um, I would have liked to have seen people come back. I have a feeling they probably would have had um, had there you know been a later season. But one of the things that makes Lower Decks so great though is that it feels like such a fresh thing to do in season seven. Sure. You know, if they had done this in the first couple of seasons, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have had the impact it has, I don't think. We, we get to see Nurse Agawa, though, more. She's, yeah. She has more to do. She has certainly has like more lines here, I think, than any other. Well, no, but, but isn't she in some more episodes, Nurse Agawa? Yeah. Well, I and mean, we've seen her in previous episodes, of course. Yeah. But well, she was in at least one of the movies. So if they if you if they went on to an eighth season, maybe she would have become the chief the O'Brien taking that you know, shows up every couple episodes. Mm-hmm. O'Brien. Did I say O'Brien? O'Brien. Hmm. Chief O'Brien. What's your uh, well before I ask that. Um I also like you know, Cito Cito dies. Now one thing I was wondering, do you guys think <sighs> They obviously they knew it was a dangerous mission, and they told her it was a dangerous mission. But do you think they th- they thought it was more likely that she would die than not? And the reason I ask that is because of that's right after she leaves, the Cardassian says to Picard, "I didn't realize she'd be so young." That that to me has the feel of, I didn't realize we would be 
asking someone to sacrifice themselves. Yeah, I mean, this crossed my this crossed my mind, and I I thought about this, but I think in the end, no, I don't I don't think like they were hiding something from her. I mean, I think they you know I don't think they thought it was likely the person undertaking this mission would would die. I I don't think that. Well, then it was a highly risky mission. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's interesting too, of course, that they spend some time on the shuttle, even though. She's about to die, and we're not going to see that or, or hear, you know, mm-hmm. hear exactly what happens. But they spend some time on the shuttle with her and this Cardassian. Even that alone, you think about Lower Decks, right? Even that scene is like, here's someone who's not long for this world, followed by a Cardassian that's going back into, you know, uh, underground or whatever, and we're not going to see him again. So it's like these two – one – peripheral character and one secondary character that and neither of which we're ever going to see again mm-hmm. we spent a couple minutes with them on the shuttlecraft mm-hmm. and well, we get a little bit of the the philosophy right. there with the cardassians and the visuals well i mean you know we've gotten into this a little bit um but it's interesting that you know this is episode so unique because it's to me it's really driven by the character cedo i mean more so later on in the episode um and it's interesting that we don't get to see that scene where she, she dies. Um, but we do get to see everything else that she did. Um, so it kind of it flips there. We go back to the, the, the command crew, and they're you know, waiting patiently to see what's going to happen. Um, yeah. And then there's that um, nice scene at the end where Worf and you know, her friends come together. Um, yeah, it's definitely a unique episode, and um, it's definitely different. For you know, there was, there was consideration... Uh, to bring her back, actually, in DS9. Because mm-hmm. they were they were going to say that she was captured and, and kept in a Cardassian prison for a long time, for years. They ended up not doing it, but they took those those ideas about being stuck in a prison for years uh, and, you know, uh, molded those into that, that O'Brien episode, uh, Hard Time, mm-hmm. that we all, all like. You know? mm-hmm. Would have been cool to bring her back. But mm-hmm. it would have it might have taken away a little bit from this episode. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. You guys got a favorite scene in this episode? Well, the dramatic scenes I I like um I obviously like the scenes the dramatic scenes with her with Cito and Picard. Um, I enjoyed the end scene with um, Worf and her friends. I thought that was a really a good scene. Yeah. Not a lot said. Um, you know, obviously the, the funnier scenes, obviously we talked to, so that's, what's cool about this episode it has very good dramatic scenes and very good comedic scenes. The, the poker scene, the, the scene in the bar, um, you know, just their camaraderie and their friendship. Um, just, it all kind of blends well, really well together. Yeah. I, um, I liked all that. I also, um, yeah, we've already talked about the, her and Worf fighting and the lesson learned kind of thing that I really like that scene. And, uh, and also how emotional the, and how well they did it with Picard announcing her death on the ship, yeah. um, mm-hmm. you know, cutting all these, you know, the, the reactions and so on. It, uh, yeah. I really, really did like the poker scene mm-hmm. um, because it was, it was such a great way to do <clears throat> just like this whole episode what we've seen before, but from a different point of view, you know, but I don't know, maybe this is cheesy, but I don't know. I think my favorite thing might be that moment right near the beginning that you mentioned, Adam, where he's, he says, senior officers to the observation lounge or something like that. And then unlike every other episode where we, that's our next shot, 
we stay on the bridge, you know. Uh, um, you tell me, it's the, such the, a the, neat the, little moment. It's such an it's such a it's such a moment that you that you think about for on every other episode from now on. You know, that's it's real. You know, it's it's there's still people there. <laughs> well, what's well, great about it, I mean uh, even the shot's cool because it's that same shot that we've seen a, a thousand yep. times where Tracking it's them up like. There. Yep. Or they don't, but it's that wide shot, and then you track up with yeah. uh, a card or Riker, whoever. But this time they track back to the, um, the you know, the two at ops and um, you know, navigation. So uh, yeah, it's it's very cool because it's like, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah, it really kind of throws you, it makes you realize how, um, you know, everything is kind of you're used to the structure of how every shot's supposed to work. It's kind of, it's yeah. more, it's, you know, with the, sh- with the enterprise floating by, that's more obvious, you know, okay, I've seen, this is the same shot they've used 800 times. So, but in that situation, you're not really thinking about it. I always, I always thought that, um, and it, it's very unlikely this would happen certainly not now, but how fresh it would be to have a Star Trek series that, that did that focused more on the the, the, lower the decks. yeah that just it wasn't about the captain and the, I mean I don't think that would ever happen but I, I think how interesting that would be you know to just focus on uh, lower ranked characters you know and somehow make it work in like some books or some the comics or something that I yeah didn't they didn't they talk about doing a uh, academy series yeah 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 but it still would have the academy series was still going to be Right. Actually, yeah, no, there was a comic where, uh, now I can't remember the name, um, Cupcake was his nickname. I think I talked about it. The guy in the, uh, yeah. the red shirt in the in the first two movies mm-hmm. who beats up um, Kirk near the beginning of the first one. I mean, he's got like two lines, you know, that's mm-hmm. it. Uh, but there was a there was a comic that kind of traced it traced his entire career or something. And I remember reading that. It was cool, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, it's such a great episode. I really, really like this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's probably the only episode from this season I like more. Is is um all good things. I think. I think. Um, I think we've kind of covered what it's about. You guys got anything else you want to add to what it's about? Have we covered that? Do we feel like we've covered that? No, we haven't. What's it about? Well, it's obviously about friendships and relationships. Um, um, it's about um, second chances, redemption, if you will. Um, um, it has a lot. It has those two storylines in it for me. What about you, Steve? Yeah, you know that's kind of hard for me to nail down the precise thing with this. You know, because mm-hmm. it's, it's in a way it's so much about the unusual mm-hmm. format of the episode, the the vibe of it, than it is about some one particular thing but because of that it it makes me feel that it's about the perspective it's about the just the different angle in a way you know like i mean you have the the part where troy's kind of you know reminding riker that he once was in that position you know and it's um and to maybe take it more take it easy on the guy a little bit you know lavelle and so on and and uh i think it's so in a way it's it's for me it's like seeing things from a different angle, you know, um, and, and, and yeah, there's all those other things too, obviously the sacrifice and redemption and, um, the, the anxiety 
you know, the, the uncertainty breeds anxiety and this kind of thing, you know, and there's the, obviously the less, you know, you know, we so we're so used to being with that, with that core group that know exactly what's going on, at least as much as they, anyone on the ship can know what's going on. Well, for most people on the ship, it's not that way, you know, and I think that's interesting. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so great episode. Love it. Let's move on to six degrees for lower decks. Uh, gosh, our score is one to one. I think so. Yep. Adam, you going first or second? Um, I'll go first. Alexander Enberg plays the young Vulcan ensign who wants to please Jordy. We last saw Enberg as the young reporter in Next Gen's Times Arrow Part Two, who promises to bring him evidence of an alien invasion. Um, can you read the question again? I was, I sure. was laughing in the, minute, in the middle of it. <laughs> did you look back over your Subrosa notes? No, I did not. I'll tell you, I'll tell you why it was funny after the. Alexander Enberg plays the young Vulcan ensign who wants to please Jordy. We last saw Enberg as the young reporter in Next Gen's Times Arrow Part 2, who promises to bring him evidence of an alien invasion. That'd be um, Mark Twain. You're correct. Steve, you need a tie for the day. Enberg will be best known for playing the recurring character of Ensign Vorik. Of course, starting with which season of Voyager? Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, God. I'm making up for the easy times. Right, right. Yeah, so it seems. Um, <laughs> this is not your bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, four. Well, you can guess. Four. No, Adam? Three. You're right. Three. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I wanted to talk about something really briefly. This is a little bit of a – just because it's been on my mind. Um, uh, you know, we're almost finished here with DS9 – or excuse me, Next Gen Season 7. And they started the process of upgrading this thing to high def. At this point, years ago, you know, um, and I know where the tech was even just five years ago. It's pretty different than where it is now. Um, and they decided to go with a four by three aspect ratio, mostly because I think they kept asking the question, what should we do? What should we do? And they felt so conflicted that they seemed like they were deciding first do no harm. We will just keep it exactly like it was. And I was one of the heavy proponents like, no, it should definitely stay four by three. Um, and I think you guys mostly agree with that too. And I I guess what I wanted to, to briefly talk about was I think I'm starting to change my mind a little bit because I started watching The Wire uh, in HD. Now, that was a show that also, just like Next Gen, was shot on 35. And there's no such thing as four by three, 35 millimeter. You know, it's always... It's widescreen, uh, but it was intended to be cropped, just like Next Gen. Um, and HBO recently decided they wanted to go back and release it in HD, so they went back. And as I think I said recently, you know, one big difference there was, yeah, all these widescreen shots on Next Gen. When you're looking at data at his station, the right side of the screen probably is after the bridge runs out. There's nothing there. You know, as opposed to seeing more of the street in the wire. And that is still true. But now that I've seen the wire, 
and I've seen some of the choices they obviously made. I guess what I'm starting to wonder is, and don't get me wrong, I'm not looking a gift horse in the mouth. I'm very grateful that we have next gen and HD, and I would much rather have what we have than have nothing. Absolutely. But I wonder if it had, if it would have been a little bit more successful had it been 16 by 9 and if that might have enabled them to more readily move on to DS9 and Voyager. And I wanted to mention some of the thoughts that I had about this uh, because I wonder if maybe it wouldn't be more practical for them to create DS9 or Voyager in 16 by 9 And if they did that, would it help them be uh, a little bit more accepted, especially with mainstream concurrent contemporary audiences? Um, when you think about the different shots, so, so that's, this, this is what started me thinking about it, watching The Wire and thinking about this. Okay, so you've got, let's say, Next Gen, maybe, <clears throat> well, let's just talk about DS9. You guys okay with me talking about this for like five minutes? I promise I'll keep it short. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So let's say like DS9. I'm, I'm just totally pulling these numbers out of my bootay, but let's say a quarter of the shots, you can take them exactly as is because – they're 16 by 9, and they were composed. They they were set up so that yeah, we're seeing um, Cisco, uh, uh, you know, on the promenade, and we're still just seeing more promenade on the left and right. You can take that shot exactly as is. It's going to have a different compositional effect because he's going to be sitting in the center of this screen. There's probably going to be nothing going on in the left and right, but. This is the this is my change my evolving mind process here. This is how I've changed I think in the last few years. Because watching the wire, I kind of realized, you know what? Who cares? I'm not that sacral. I'm not that religious about it. It's not okay. So I see a little bit that the promenade is kind of empty over there on the right. Who cares? It's fine. Who cares? I, it doesn't bug me. Um, so that's one possibility. So all that we're effectively doing is. The composition feels a little bit different, but there's no work to put it in 16 by 9, right? So that's easy. Um, then we've got shots where, because they knew they were going to crop it, maybe we're just seeing more promenade, so it's not like the set runs out, but there's a C-stand over there or a crew member over there, something that happened for them a fair amount on the wire. Nowadays, with current tech, even five years ago, this would have been fairly easy. But nowadays, anybody with After Effects can do this. We do it at my little bitty post house all the time. You can paint that out super easy. No problem. Doesn't take very much time, so it doesn't take very much money. So there's a whole other batch of shots that we can pretty much easily just have them in widescreen. Okay. Now, uh, what about effects shots? Or what about – that leaves us two things to discuss. Effects shots – and shots where there's no more set over there. Okay, so let's tackle that last one first. Well, here's the difference, I think, with modern tech. As opposed to even just five years ago, nowadays, you can do like a 4K telecine from that 35 millimeter film very comparatively, compared to a few years ago, very cheaply and very efficiently and quickly. And if you did that, so now we have four times as many pixels to work with. Well, now... I can effectively blow that up quite a bit and still get to a pixel-for-pixel pixel super high-quality 1080p. Does that make sense? It's more like I'm just cropping 1080p out of the 4K scan. Mm -hmm. So if I can do that, all I have to do is change the composition. So now I've got, um, I don't know, Cisco's on the bridge of the Defiant. 
he walks up near the view screen and we're looking at him from the side. So everything, uh, we're looking at it from his left side, he's looking at the view screen. Everything behind him, so the right side of the screen, that's just more of the Defiant Bridge. No problem, we already discussed what to do there. Um, everything to his left, oh, there's there's no more set there. It's just people standing around and it's on a stage. Okay, well if I had that 4K scan, now I, I just have to change the composition of the shot. So maybe it looks a little bit awkward, but I kind of put him a little bit more to the front and I've got more than enough pixels to blow up, to go in, to zoom in basically without really sacrificing quality because I'm just going back down to 1080p. Now, compositionally, is that a little bit uncomfortable? Maybe. Is it worth the few times that that's going to happen for us to get 60 mile 9 all the time? Maybe. And then all that leaves us with really are effect shots. Now, in next gen, you had mostly computer stuff. I mean, excuse me, you had mostly models, not computers, which is one of the reasons they said next gen they could do this this process as opposed to DS9 and Voyager where so much of it were completely computer-generated effects. That is true. You're just transferring film and doing the composites on next gen. But on, say, DS9, think about the seventh season with all those ships flying around. That was all created standard F computer graphics back then. So you would have to recreate that. But obviously, if you are recreating it to be in high def, it's no sweat to just extend out the sides of the screen. You just have more ships over there or whatever. I'm not saying that's super easy and cheap, but it's not any more expensive than doing all of the effects shot in the first place. Um, so would this mean that a significant portion of the time somebody would have to make some kind of different creative choices? Yes. And I guess my whole point that I'm getting at here is now that I've been watching The Wire and realize, who cares? It's great to see it uh, in HD and 16 by 9. I guess I'm starting starting to think maybe that wouldn't be so bad. if, As long as there's somebody that we all trust up there making these decisions. Um, I don't know. It seems like it might be doable to me. And maybe, maybe, maybe you'd have a rare, rare, rare instance where okay, there's no more set over there, and even if we just go in and crop out the 1080p, the composition feels really weird. That's why I picked that somebody standing in front of a view screen example, because I think it would feel weird in that instance to have the guy flush over to the left side of the screen if he's looking left. Well, it's the view screen. I think we could get away with adding some a digital set extension in that scenario. Now you're starting to get more expensive. But how often would that happen? Or do you have a problem with them if they actually had to um, zoom in a little bit? Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying fundamentally on, on times when there's no more set, they're going to have to change the composition. It's not going to be just like a shot where, okay, we're just going to see more of the promenade and it's going to be empty. And maybe that's not the feel we want, but it's fine. Uh, that isn't nearly as different as having to zoom in because now you're really changing the composition. On the former, if I were to just pillar box it, I'm back to where I started. You know, If I just cropped it left and right, I'm back to where I started. But if there was no more set over there and I had to start screwing with the composition, well, now if I pillar boxed it, it's not gonna, that's not going to work. And you know, you've also got other little things, very rare things, like say uh, they would shoot something widescreen with the intention of following an effect over, and then they would digitally pan across inside the 4x3 mm -hmm. image to make it look like there was some camera motion inside of a special effects shot. 
I think I could live with that occasional special effect shot just being a still shot. Who cares? You know, I guess that's what I'm saying is maybe maybe we were all a little bit too, um, you know, religious in hmm. our in our maintaining of it has Brian. to be exactly like it was. I don't know. I never thought I'd hear the day. I know. I guess I'm getting I'm getting, <laughs> getting soft in my old age. Yes. No, no, I, I think um, it's probably because I'm tired, but <laughs> I'm I, I I I can't help but think we're over. I guess being overthinking, and I'm just going to make one statement based on all this. Okay. Um, yes, if it meant you can have it in high def, but we're going to make it 16:9, and otherwise we're not having it at all. Okay, fine, you know, but. I have really have trouble understanding the point of view of why that would make such a difference with so many people. And the reason I say that, I, I get it. I get a lot of people don't get it with the blank space on a television, wherever it is. And I, I okay, fine. You know, it's it's just ignorance about how it works or whatever. I don't know what the deal is. But you know, there's a lot of movies. You know, I don't I don't know what percentage of mainstream Hollywood movies that people watch on their televisions that. You know, because they're two, three, five. There's still black bars in the top and bottom. I know, but but to me, the difference is Star Trek: The Original Series. It was shot sixteen four by three. It was shot as a, with a square aspect ratio. That's it. That's the show. Next Gen was shot widescreen with the always with the intention of cropping to four by three. So I guess there's so much of the time now that I'm watching it, and I'm just thinking, especially like I said, because of watching The Wire and and seeing all this stuff on the sides and. I'm thinking this isn't fundamentally changing the way I'm watching it. The fact that the composition feels a little bit right, different right. I, isn't I, fun. You know, yeah. there's so much in next gen that there is that stuff on the sides. They're yeah, just I, I get it. I get it, and that's why I said if it meant, you know, I'm, I'm only going to get in high def if they make it a 16:9 thing. I'm I, that's fine. You know, like all those things you mentioned, the solutions fine. But I guess what I'm saying is that I don't understand why this is an issue. I mean, I I I know there's people that have issues with the blank spots, but I, it, in this day and age, I don't get why that is. I mean, you know, there's, there's, you know, one of the nominees for best picture this year switches aspect, three different aspect ratios. And then there's, there's the, you know, I don't know what percentage, but a huge percentage of big films that are still going to result in blank space in your television. And, and it's just, I, I don't know. That's just my frustration probably coming out. I, I have, I have the Grand, Bas- Grand Budapest Hotel on right now, and it's four by three. Well, that's what I'm talking about. That that movie <laughs> is in three different aspect ratios, and people I mean, are people like flipping their lid through the whole thing. I don't know. Maybe some are. It's stupid, but I mean, um, I guess what I'm saying is I don't understand that perspective. But like I said, if it if there was some survey done, it's like, oh well, I'm ticked off because there's black spots on my television about the thing. So okay, well, solve <laughs> that. We'll put it in 69. Fine. I, 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 you know, it's not like I'm going to throw a fit or something. Um, yeah, I think Brian, uh, you may. I mean, you might be right. Maybe they'll end up doing that with DS9 and um, um, Voyager. I don't quite think it's that big a deal right now. If you if you're looking to get um, younger audiences involved, <laughs> let's just say kids in their teens, 20s, or whatever. They're more interested in watching it on their phones or their tablets. And um, in those situations, you can just, if it bugs you that you have a little space on either side of your iPad or phone, you can just kind of zoom in and you just, it changes the aspect ratio. So I don't think it's that big. I'm kind of more on Steven's side here. I don't think it's that big a deal. Yeah. Um, and believe me, I, I totally, totally, totally respect mm-hmm. uh, anyone that would say, I want it like it originally was. I totally respect that. I really do. Um, I guess all I'm saying is now that I'm watching a show and seeing what it really feels like to just see the extra sides of that 35 millimeter, you know, uh, widescreen image mm-hmm. 
and realizing this isn't this isn't bugging me, you know. Mm-hmm. And if this gets and 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 it's and if this gets other people to watch it, why not? Yeah. You know. Well, I'm sure I guess, wanna, and, I, and yeah. I thought it would bug me. You know, they so might, I'm surprised maybe, that it maybe, did. Maybe they'll do that with um, you know, their 4K release in about 10 years. Though so for the next gen 4K, <laughs> it'll be in 16 by 9, and then you'll have to rebuy it again, Brian. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to imagine that they're ever gonna go back to the film again with next gen. I'm sure they kept saved it and all, but this was such a monumental undertaking. I just I can't imagine them. It would be interesting to know if they actually uh, cropped it during the telecine, or if they basically kept it warts and all up until late in the process and then cropped it. You know what I mean? Right. Like, is there a version of, of Lower Decks where you see the set run out on the left side of the screen or you see a C-stand mm-hmm. there? Is, is that Did they transfer it that way and just kind of ignore that stuff and just put like some kind of mask on the monitor or something while they're working with it so that there actually is something like that somewhere and they could someday go back and touch that up? That they might do if it's already in the computer that way. But if they masked it on the Telecine, not a chance. They're not going to spend millions of dollars again. No. I don't need them to. I'm just, just talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just so I've just been thinking about it. Yeah, I've just been thinking about it. I'm so glad that we have Next Gen. And, and it feels like such a, a feat that we got this whole show in remastered in HD. You know? Mm-hmm. It, it's such a good like feeling to have that. It's funny that it takes up less space on your shelf. It takes up like less than half the space on your shelf than the DVDs <laughs> yeah. did, which in turn take up. Um, you can't even compare it to how much space it took up as VHS or laser or whatever. Right. Yeah. All right, guys. I know it's late. Your time. Thanks for indulging me. Cool. No problem. So uh, we'll be back in two weeks, folks. Talk about the next three episodes of Next Gen. Thank you so much for spending an hour with us. And if you have any thoughts on. Uh, the things we've discussed, send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. That's at Trek Companion. And our Facebook listener page is facebook.com slash Trek Companion. Until next time, take it easy. Good night. See you. I passed it.